you to support it. Let's pick back up verse 19. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now let's pause there just for a second. Keep in mind, who is James? He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And what does he do? He offers a clear plan of action. It's like Paul and Barnabas have declared their their aspects. Peter has told about his side, and you know they're they're and both of them, by the way, are in agreement. Gentiles are saved by grace through faith, and that we're saved the same way they are. They're saved the same way we are. And then James says, "All right, let's let's make a plan of action." And notice that he said it was more important that they learn to avoid things rather than focus on legalism. He didn't. It's interesting here because you start reading through this list. And it's like, is he, is he adding things? No, he's actually saying avoid some things. Now, why would he do that? What was he doing? He, he gave us this list. Avoid idol worship, sexual immorality, things strangled and from, from, from blood. It really seems like a strange list, right? Like, what in the world is going on? This is a strange list. What is, what is idol worship? What is, why, why mention sexual immorality? What, what do you mean string, strangled animals? What? What, what is this about? It seems strange. But apart from understanding that these are things that pagan Gentiles would have done, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But if you understand that pagan Gentiles would have found themselves in situations where they would have been drinking blood and, you know, and to honor a false god or to worship a false god, listen, they even had... There were some pagan Gentiles that were even involved. Their, their sexual activity was related to their religiosity. Their, they, were, they were performing certain sexual acts as a religious experience. And what he's, here's what he's saying. is like, we don't need to worry about adding more things to them. We need to tell them to abandon the old things that they're used to. We need to tell them to get rid of the old stuff, the old pagan way of lifestyle, to avoid those things. Not to embrace our, our Jewish history, not to embrace circumcision and all of these things. Those things are not necessary. We need to teach them how to grow in their faith so that the old self is gone and the new person in Christ emerges. And that's what his concern is. So we look at it as a strange list. Why? Because we typically don't get together as pagan Gentiles and drink blood in honor of gods and we typically don't get together and think of you know, orgies as a as a you know way to honor the gods you know but that doesn't make sense but to them in their context they would have said listen these are some things that they're doing in their pagan context the pagan gentiles we need to tell them avoid those things not add new things to them so he hasn't given them a list of jewish laws Rather, helping the new Gentile Christians distance themselves from their old sinful behavior. Let's pick back up verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders. With the whole church, here's where, what? Now they've involved the whole church. They've made a decision. They've got a plan of action. It pleased everybody and the apostles and the elders. And what did they do? They let the church know, here's what we're going to do. 
and to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Bar uh, Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you'll do well. Farewell. What an incredible letter. The whole letter right there in Scripture for us to read. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, let's pause. They made a decision in light of Scripture to clearly teach that salvation is by grace through faith, and it's not through some legalism. They communicated their, this decision through how? Writing a letter. They wanted the people to know, and they put it in writing. And I want you to notice something. It was likely that the person who wrote this short letter to the Gentiles was James. James was the one that said, we need to write them. James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, and James very likely wrote it. Now, why do I say that? Because the language that he uses matches the same language that we read in the book of James. In fact, it's at this point in the book of Acts it's Acts chapter 15. Don't miss this. This is so important. It's at this point that we have two of our New Testament books that were written because of Acts chapter 15, because of this conflict. In addition to the letter that we just read, we find, we find in, you know, in Acts 15 that that letter was addressed to the Gentiles. James is going to write a similar letter to the Jews. We call that the book of James. That's in Scripture, okay? So if you're wanting a timeline of where all this falls into place, Acts chapter 15, you read through Acts chapter 15, and then you can pause and you can say, what was said, we, we just read what was said to the Gentiles, what was sent to the Jewish community about the same issue? Read the book of James, okay? Acts chapter 15, then read the book of James. That was 
that was James's response specifically to uh, the people uh, that were Jewish believers. At the same time, the Apostle Paul is going to affirm the letter. James has affirmed it. He's going to say, you know, not only are we going to send it to the Gentiles, I'm going to write another letter and I'm going to send it to the Jews. And he affirms that decision. The Apostle Paul affirms the decision by writing a letter as well. And he writes a letter. And we call it the book of Galatians. Now, if you, if you remember on some of our maps, and I literally just told Peggy last night we didn't have to worry about the maps on the first journey. Um, and now I'm thinking, you know, yeah, there's a little part on it. On that first journey, where did the Apostle Paul go? He went up into the Gentiles, and he went all around the Galatian area, all the different cities in Galatia. So what's the Apostle Paul doing? Apostle, the Apostle Paul affirms this decision, and he writes a letter to the churches in Galatia, and we call it the book of Galatians. Okay, so whenever you get to Acts chapter 15, note, you can put a note in your you know, margins and so forth and say, read the book of James and read the book of Galatians, because that's where, that's where those books were written. And it's important for us to do what? You know, what were they doing? What was the Apostle Paul doing when he wrote that book of Galatians? What was James doing when he wrote the book of James? He was making, they were both making public statements that they supported the decision that was made in Acts 15. You know what we need to do? Support decisions when they're made. By the, by, when people have said, here's why we're doing it, here's the scripture, Here's how the Spirit has led us, and then we obey it. The books of James and Galatians are examples of public support of the decision that was made. You know, it's hard for people to come to consensus when decisions are made. It can be a difficult thing. Now, what does consensus mean? Consensus means that you support the final decision, even if you, weren't, you were in favor of a different point of view or a different decision prior. Once the decision's made then you give consensus you say okay i'm, I'm going to be in agreement our churches suffer when we don't learn the principle of consensus here's what i mean by that if we don't learn it as a church if we don't learn how to have consensus here's what we end up doing you have that business meeting where all that contention happens and then what happens out in the parking lot oh it's not going to happen yeah, and, and yeah, right here in front, of, in front of the pastor. Where does it happen? Out in the parking lot. You think we don't know that? You think pastors don't know that there's conversations that take place in the parking lot? And you know what that conversation is in the parking lot? It's like, well, church may have voted that way, but I don't like it. That's not consensus. And what is it doing? It continues to stir up trouble. That's what the devil wants to do. In every church that I've served, our pastoral staff was always taught a consensus mindset. Our meetings were met with an umbrella of mercy, meaning that we could come into the meeting and we can have an umbrella of mercy and listen to any and all ideas. But then once a decision was made, and this is, this is the one that we're going with, all the pastors in that meeting, we would get up and we would walk out of that room in complete support because we are, have have a mentality of consensus and we are going to completely support it if one pastor walked out of there and was like nah, you know I don't what are they doing it, it, it creates more 
conflict. We walk out of there with consensus. We, we, in fact, I've watched the men with incredible integrity go into meetings and then say, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. And then you end up having the meeting and you discuss it and say, here's what we're going with. And then you then you make a decision, the decision's made. I've watched the men with some incredible integrity walk out of there and support the decision and you would have thought it was their idea. That's consensus. That's, that's consensus. It's so important. I pray that we as a church will always seek the scriptures in our decisions. Always turn to the scriptures. And then seek unity as together we submit to the authority of those scriptures. Conflict is a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. Whether it's personal, whether it's in the church, it's a difficult thing. Before we wrap up, I want us to make one last observation. Let's look at verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go, now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And when he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We come to the end of chapter 15. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Soon as you resolve one conflict, what happened? Another one started to emerge. Another one started to emerge. This should remind us of the constant battle that we are up against when the devil and his dominion are at work. And that leads me to one last thought. May we remember that Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, trouble, conflict. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.